We've got our Super Bowl champion, the 56-1 in NFL history. There's a lot going on. The Bears have obviously been in hibernation for just about a month now. So you're looking at like five to six weeks at this point. I don't even know. I lost track with everything that was going on. But what's up, guys? Welcome into the Fireside Bears podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Fireside Bears. You know the voices behind the show. I'm Usaid Kosho. I've got my co-host, Sam Stevenson, as well as Joseph Herf and... You can follow them on Twitter at Usaid Koshal, at Shy Sports Sam, and at Joseph Herf NFL. In case you're wondering why the intro was messed up, but also not semi messed up, it's because the theme for this week, guys, is just try not to fall asleep during the podcast. Sam had an incredibly busy day. Monday didn't feel like a Monday. Tuesday actually felt like a Monday. I'm incredibly tired. Joe just got back from eating Whataburger for an entire like week in Texas. You know, it's interesting because before we get into the show, right, I got to say, well, how was your trip to Texas first? things first dude dude it was a really good time so backstory my uh my neighbor growing up his dad got a job offer in texas when he was a junior in high sophomore in high school so he picked up everything moved down to texas when we were really close we'd known each other basically for like 12 years and so we kind of still kept in contact we still game together all the time um he comes up and visits every summer but um i try and visit him when i can so i went and stayed with him um, got to see the whole Texas Tech bar scene for the first time. That's where he lives. So that was fun. Um, again, got that Whataburger, as you guys saw on Snapchat. I had it nine times over five days because it is that spectacular. And I just had to, like, you know, like get sick of it so I wouldn't miss it. But uh, overall, it was a lot of fun. Um, wasn't super hot. It was like 60, 70, comfortable. Um, we just like worked out together, um, go to the bars, hang out. It was just very nice to kind of, you know, get a break from work and, you know, See other. I, I like traveling, so any excuse to travel is a good excuse for me. Yeah, I will say one thing that I have on my list is so I don't know if a lot of people know. So all my social media is just mainly bear stuff, just because that's the way I want things to be. But you know, I really love burgers, and so one of the things with me is I'm always down for a good burger, right? And I'm not talking like your crappy like mcdonald's style stuff although i've had like mcdonald's i've had burger king and wendy's too but being the giant burgers guy um you know i've wanted to try different places like five guys i know that bulldog ale house has some really good burgers in the chicagoland area if you're ever in chicago and need a place to go to that is not necessarily a bar but it's also a nice sit down restaurant check out bulldog ale house they're all over the place and then there's a local place in the West Loop, too, called Busy Burger. Definitely worth checking out. They got some real good spicy mayo sauce. I love Epic Burger, too. So, you know, I have to say Whataburger, Johnny Rockets, Jack in the Box, Hardee's, countless others, right? They're all on my list. So, you know, I definitely want to try Whataburger sometime. I think the big one, though, that I'm super jealous of has to be In-N-Out because, yeah, In-N-Out, I've heard, is really good but i also know that you know there's rumors out there saying that they want to keep their meat as fresh as possible and where their meat is made in those facilities they do not want it to be more than 300 miles away because apparently 300 miles is like the cutoff for how fresh the meat is fascinating i did not think this was going to be how this podcast started um, yeah there used to be so i used to live in glen ellen like lived there pretty much my whole life there's a place on Roosevelt called, uh, and it's like a chain, but it was called Meatheads. And I love Meatheads. Dude, they have one at ISU. Oh, prime. They, they, they shut it down like a year before we, we moved to Lyle. But I would, like, my family would go there 
kind of a lot. And they had the Cajun fries and stuff, and their shakes were good. I loved Meatheads. You said, I don't know if you've ever had Meatheads, but if you haven't, add that to the list. I, it's, in, it's in Illinois. I mean, it's not like a local mom and pa shop, but like the Meatheads in Glen Ellen was like one of my favorite places to go eat with my family. And like their burgers were really, really good. I'm a big burger well, guy too, so that's top three for me. Yeah, okay, so speaking of burger places, and I know Sam, because Sam and I live in the relatively same area, and as sad as it is, we're only like 20, 30 minutes from each other, and we've never actually met in person, but you know we'll have to change that very soon. I know that on Roosevelt Road, I think it's on the corners of like Roosevelt and Park where they opened up, like or in that area, so they, they have like the Jewel Osco there, and then they have... I think it's like, I forgot the p- name of the pizza place, but it's some chain. Oh, it's wood grain pizza. And then they have that burger joint inside there too. I think that burger joint's really interesting because wherever that burger joint is, there's also Oberweiss. And yeah, I need, to, need that burger joint just sounds good. I've never actually had it, which is super sad to say, but yeah, I need to try that out too. Anyway, no, hold so. On. Wait, hold on. Before you, before we continue, that's where I used to work in that area. That's where Meatheads was in mm-hmm. that area. I've been to those three places. My brother used to work at Woodgrain. That burger joint got brought in. Everyone kind of hated on it for a really long time. Like everyone said it wasn't good. And I went and I went in there. It's a little bit pricey, but like I got a solid burger. So if you're in that area, you said like you have to try it and let me know because it, it got a lot of flack. But like I mean like the Oberweiss is right there too. Woodgrain is not that good. I wouldn't go there. But um, no, the, that burger joint's another like, but like that is where Meatheads, the one that I would go to like as a kid, basically used to be. And I used to work in that, like on that stretch of Roosevelt. That's where Goldfish Swim School is. Shout out people at Goldfish. But uh, enough enough for me. And I just wanted to throw that in there really quickly. One thing too, there is a That's Burger joint at ISU as well. So I got to try that. I would, I would agree. It's a little pricey. I would say it's like, I don't know. I don't think it's amazing just because I've had so many good burger places, but. Like I would put in the price range like Culver's, but like not as good as Culver's or like Five Guys stuff like that. But it's still pretty good. It's worth, definitely worth a try. Solid. Anyways, I think what this is gonna kind of lead to is just over the summer we're gonna be trying like a different burger place every week or something, just because burgers seem to be so much more enjoyable in Fireside the summer than burger. they are. Fireside burgers. Exactly. That was our theme of the exactly. podcast today, burgers. Okay, fine. Yeah. All right. So we're going to have to get an entire list going. But, you know, getting into Bears stuff here, guys, and NFL stuff in general, you know, Super Bowl happened. And I think that this was a really intriguing season because for the first time in forever, right, the Bears actually had, you know, something worth watching. And I understand, you know, this team pretty much went from – Mitch Trubisky to Justin Fields in terms of like potential franchise quarterbacks. But I also think that the 2021 season was super unprecedented for the bears because there were a lot of other things going on around the NFL that 31 other teams were doing. And Joe, I'll start with you here because it's been two weeks for you, but you ultimately look and you say, Hey, listen, certain teams did certain things a certain way. And I truly think that the bears could look at that and emulate how you go about developing a quarterback or just continuing to build a roster. Like I'll take the Bengals here, you know, that Jamar chase, Joe Burrow connection, everyone was looking at it and saying, 
okay, this is something that can really develop because Joe Burrow has Jamar Chase's best friend now. Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow are best buddies like they were at LSU. They're in the NFL now. That connection is going to mean something. And again, you know, we saw it completely take off. So, Joe, I got to ask you here. I mean, what did we learn after a full season of football in 2021 where things got back to normalcy? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll touch on is I talk about pretty often, but it sucks to say running backs really don't matter. Again, the Rams deployed a backfield of three running backs that basically split carries, and they're basically their most effective running back was essentially their third string and Daryl Henderson. I would say Cam Akers basically started with Sony Michelle being kind of their short yardage back, and Henderson's kind of the spell back, and he was basically their most effective back. So, again, it, it sucks to say, but you saw Mixon probably is the best running back in the game, and they didn't win the game. And another thing I'll touch on, um, people always talk about how important it is to, you know, power up that offense, high-powered offenses, all that. The Super Bowl came down to who played honestly better defense. And the final score, the score wasn't 49 to 41. It was a close, it was a close game, low scoring. Battle of the defenses, a few pop explosion plays, whether that was T. Higgins' 75-yard touchdown, regardless of the face mask, um, or other pop plays. Regardless, it came down to who can move the ball effectively and who can play good defense. And people are going to want to say they want a team, you know, like, again, the Chiefs have a decent defense, like the Chiefs, for example, that put up 40 points a game. But, again, it comes down to the end of the year to who can play the best defense in the Super Bowl and who can be the smartest and doesn't turn the ball over. So there's, again, we could we have the quarterback that we want, we have the offensive line that we want, all the receivers we want, but the Bears have that defense kind of already in place to be very solid for the next season. So building the offense this offseason is going to be enormous for the Bears, and they're in a pretty good spot right now with that cap space. Yeah, I, I think kind of just taking what we learned about the season, um, just a couple of things overall. The, the seventh seed playoff team is probably not going to win a playoff game for a long time. I, I understand why the team was those teams were implemented. I understand what the NFL is doing. It's a business. Um, but but we did not need to see the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs. Um, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where I think, unfortunately, those teams that sneak in, we saw the Chicago Bears do it in 2020, you really just kind of back into the playoffs. You're not really earning that spot. Um, and again, I think ultimately those teams are going to have very little success. I mean, again, both one seeds did get upset, but I think they got upset by two teams that were pretty solid. Speaking of upsets, uh, the Green Bay Packers continue to uh, never find long-term success. Uh, it's the one joy that I get out of watching the playoffs with the Packers in it every year is that they never go far. Um, thank you 49ers fans and 49ers. Um, one thing that I also noticed this year was it's a long season and adjustments can be made if you want to win games. Uh, I don't think there's a better example than the Indianapolis Colts who basically understood that, I mean, they were losing games. I did not think anyone thought that they were going to get close to making the playoffs. Honestly, they probably should have made the playoffs. Um, and they found a way to continue to win games. Their defense played well. Joe harped on that. Your defense is going to be important, especially come playoff time. And, and they knew that they could run the ball with Jonathan Taylor, and they had enough weapons that they didn't need Carson Wentz to win them games if Jonathan Taylor could dominate for them. They have a good offensive line. But building around, you know, having a good run game, building a good offensive line is very important. I think we saw that in the Super Bowl. Um, I think ultimately the Bengals just – that offensive line got exposed. I mean, it was one of the best pass rushes of all time – I mean, not of all time – um, probably one of the best in the playoffs. The Rams built that roster to go all the way. You know, you, you get Von Miller and you got Aaron Donald and, and you get some, you know, some, some push out of Leonard Floyd and then you go make a move for OBJ. I mean, ultimately though, the Rams offensive line is what helped them 
continue to be successful, you know, allowing guys like Sony Michelle and Daryl Henderson and, and, you know, Cam Akers to, to play as well as they did. Cause again, I think the argument for running backs getting paid is, is absolutely valid from Joe there. Um, there's a lot more I, I, I could say, I mean, um, you know, I think one thing we learned is that the bears are no longer the team that they were in 2018. Uh, if we want to go more specific, but I think that's a good thing. I, I think it's time for change. I think change was necessary. We don't have to get more into detail with there. Um, but, uh, I, I think the biggest thing I took away was like building the offensive line is going to be very important. Good offensive lines will help your offense. I, I definitely think having a good defense in the playoffs is important. Health is obviously very important, but the teams that had solid offensive lines did pretty well in the playoffs and did pretty well in the season overall. So I think it's going to be a big emphasis for the bears in 2022. You know, you hit on a lot of key points there and Getting away from the offensive line here for just a moment, I think it's fair, and I'll circle around to the offensive line just a second here in terms of the front office moves the Bears have made, but there's something to be said about what we saw this season. You know, when you look at a lot of these really good playoff teams, and again, a lot of them do tend to come from the AFC because the AFC has essentially, I think, set the standard for what a Super Bowl caliber roster is. The Bears need to emulate that. You know, and what I mean is this, is that if you look over the last couple of years in the AFC, we've seen a couple of really good quarterbacks emerge, right? We know Patrick Mahomes. We know about Josh Allen. I would throw Joe Burrow in there too, but there's something to be said for those three quarterbacks is that I think Justin Fields can be just as good as those guys. But one of the things that Mahomes, Josh Allen, as well as Joe Burrow had was they didn't just have, you know, one really good wide receiver. They had a multitude of passing options in the aerial attack. I mean, just look at Joe Burrow. Everyone, like I said, talks about Jamar Chase, right? But how about the impact that T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd had? I think Tyler Boyd this season had like a 1,000 yards, and T. Higgins was always someone that I loved coming out of Clemson and certainly someone I wanted the Bears to draft because I knew that he would form – a really good lethal duo with at the time was wide receiver one Allen Robinson. And again, this was when Darnell Mooney wasn't on the Bears roster. But the point I'm making, I think more so is that, you know, you look at Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman, guys like Demarcus Robinson, Travis Kelsey, all these weapons that help Patrick Mahomes. You look at Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen is the most intriguing case study that the Bears need to model and just continue to look at because ultimately when you look at Josh Allen, it's like I've said multiple times before on the show, he was being labeled a bust by everyone. He went from being pretty much being the worst quarterback in the 2018 class to afterthought to now MVP candidate and an elite quarterback in the NFL. And I think that any of the other 31 teams would love to have Josh Allen as a quarterback, but you look at the bills. What did they do? You know, they went out and they traded for Stefan Diggs in the 2020 off season. And they have guys like Isaiah McKenzie there. I think Gabriel Davis, Cole Beasley, Dawson Knox, you know, some really good solid playmakers in the, offense for the aerial attack and so the point i'm making is that the bears have to go out and they essentially have to emulate that we know that next season the bears only have darnell mooney and daz newsome going into the year those are the only two guys under contract but you need to be really aggressive and not just sit on your hands you have to go out and you have to find more and more pass catchers because the theme in the nfl i think is really becoming you need to have multiple really good pass catchers i know that when we were growing up during the Brady, Breeze, Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning era. It was kind of if you had 
one really good wide receiver, like a Terrell Owens or a Roddy White, you know what, you were totally fine. But we're seeing teams realize and understand more and more now that you need two or three really good wide receivers. You better have a top-tier talent at the tight end position too, along with two really good running backs if you're going to have a solid offensive playmaking core as a whole. I mean, and getting away from the really good wide receivers here and the teams that have two or three good receivers. You know a team that doesn't have two or three good receivers? The Green Bay Packers. And and again, I bring the Green Bay Packers up because the Packers have Devontae Adams, which is great. But these guys like Alan Lazard, Equinemius St. Brown, Omari Rogers, they're not necessarily top tier options either. So the Bears are need the Bears are the Bears need to understand that they're just gonna have to continue to just attack and to be aggressive. Go ahead, Sam. Something I want to add, it's more from an offensive perspective, too, because I think you bring up the Green Bay Packers there, and, and, you know, I think a lot of that talent gets elevated with the quarterback position. I think what we need to learn from this past season is let's pump the brakes on judging rookie quarterbacks um, because I think we were all praising Mac Jones kind of the first half of the year. He looked like the best quarterback in the draft class, and he probably was this past year. He was probably the best rookie quarterback. But he got exposed – Towards the second half of the year, teams started figuring out the Patriots' offense. I think Justin Fields was another quarterback that got a lot of criticism. Zach Wilson, the same thing. And I think Justin Fields had his mistakes, and I think Zach Wilson had his mistakes. I think both guys got better. And I think, you know, a guy like Davis Mills, who's a you know a third-round pick no one regarded as anything serious, had a really great stretch of final games and I think is in the argument to be their quarterback one next year for the Houston Texans. If I'm Lovey Smith, I think you give him a shot. So I think when we talk about rookie quarterbacks, we're, we're trying so hard to find these guys who can immediately, you know, be the guy. When I think about the, the recent draft classes, I talk, you know, we think about Joe Burrow. We think about Justin Herbert, right? Justin Herbert comes onto the scene last year and has probably one of the most efficient rookie quarterback seasons of all time. Joe Burrow plays a couple games, tears his ACL, a lot of question marks, comes in and, and, does what he did this year and gets the Bengals to a Super Bowl, right? The second year for rookie quarterbacks, in my opinion, is way more important than their first year. That first year of the NFL is learning the position, learning what it's like to be an NFL quarterback, going through the growing pains. And yeah, maybe you have some success. Maybe you make the playoffs. Maybe you don't. But the second year for rookie quarterbacks, in my opinion, is way more important than the first year. I think if we come back and we compare Justin Fields to Mitch Trubisky, I think Mitch Trubisky's 2017 rookie season, I think there was a lot of potential there. I, I, I don't think it was necessarily better or worse than Justin Fields. I think if you compare the stats, they were pretty similar. But Mitch's second year was his most important year, and we saw improvement. We got all excited about Mitch Trubisky. We didn't think he was the next coming of, like, Jesus Christ. But we all, I think majority of Bears fans got pretty optimistic about Mitch Trubisky after 2018. And there's a lot of things that factor into that. But let's pump the brakes on rookie quarterbacks a little bit because – I think we can't label guy as bust or the next hall. Of, I know next hall of famer yet until they get a second season in. And I think you know there's a lot of question marks around guys like Trey Lance. Is Trey Lance going to be the guy in, in San Francisco next year? Is Davis Mills going to be able to to earn the spot with the Houston Texans next year? Did he do enough in 2021 to to earn that spot? You know, is Justin Fields going to be the next Joe Burrow? Is Zach Wilson going to be the next Joe Burrow? Like. And the reason why I'm comparing them is because you have a guy who goes from question mark injury 2020 to Super Bowl quarterback. So 
there's a lot of things that revolve around that. I understand it. You have to bring in talent, like you said, mentioned with Jamar Chase and, and you know, the emergence of a guy like T. Higgins. But let's pump the brakes on rookie quarterbacks a little bit because I think it's very, very hard to make an assessment on a guy after one year of play. Because a guy that you could actually argue did not play well his rookie year and maybe wasn't great in 2021 but got better was Tua Tagovailoa. Definitely not the best quarterback in the draft class. Tua got better. I'm not saying he's good. I'm not. I was a Tua believer. I don't think he's going to amount to much in the NFL. But he got better in 2021 than he did in 2020. So all I'm saying is let rookie quarterbacks be rookie quarterbacks. Give them a year. Let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. I don't think any rookie quarterback is going to win a Super Bowl anytime soon. Let let these guys be rookie quarterbacks and figure this stuff out. You know, I certainly agree with that because, I mean, let's just be honest, right? And this is kind of in, only including the Bears fan base. Like the Bears fan base, you know, we were so quick to crown Mitch Trubisky as the future. He had a pretty good 2017. I'm not going to say he had a pretty good 2017 season statistically, but I think you certainly saw a lot of the flashes there. And, you know, a lot of it does parallel 2021 with Justin Fields, where, again, we saw the flashes, but it just was never enough to fully say that, hey, Justin Fields is truly the franchise quarterback for the Bears. Now, that doesn't mean the potential and the upside is not limited. It's certainly there. But, you know, earlier I kind of said I was going to mention offensive line play, and I want to talk about something because this season also showed that offensive line play matters. If you've ever seen the way that football rosters are built, it's interesting because we get so caught up, and I'll let Joe chime in after this too, but I think – People get so caught up in the quarterback position and the wide receivers and the high-flying offenses that sometimes we forget that the basic fundamental foundations of what is a good offense, such as a solid running game to complement a potent aerial attack or a really good offensive line, those things matter than most people are willing to admit. And let's just be honest. I think had Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace still been here, something that you would have seen is that they pretty much would have sat on their hands this offseason and said, well, you know, we believe in guys like Tevin Jenkins. Larry Borm had a really good year. James Daniels, Cody Whitehair are really good, solid veteran leaders for the offensive line. The only position we really have to figure out is center, but we do see Sam Mustafer as having high upside. What would Pace and Nagy have done? They would have gone out and they would have signed, you know, a date, or they would have signed or drafted a free agent or picked someone on day two to kind of push Sam Mustafer to create competition. But what's interesting about Ryan Pohl's Ian Cunningham, the assistant GM, and Matt Eberflus, is that these three are guys that are basically the top voices on the football operations for the Chicago Bears, and all three of them have experience with the trenches. Poles and Ian Cunningham, these guys are former offensive linemen that were offensive linemen for different college teams. I believe it was Boston College and Virginia Tech about 14, 15 years ago. You look at Matt Eberflus, I understand Eberflus's background is linebackers and secondary because that's what he was doing in Dallas, and he was the Colts' defensive coordinator. But what matters about Matt Eberflus is that he really values and emphasizes having a really good defensive line. He just got done being the defensive coordinator for four seasons with the Indianapolis Colts. That is another team that heavily invested in both the offensive line and the defensive line. And so 
this season really showed that the Bears have never really had an elite offensive line by any means, but an elite offensive line can be the biggest difference maker. It's what can take a below average or average quarterback and make that quarterback look good enough to the point where an offense is serviceable. I cited this on our YouTube show with our buddy Max, guys. I talked about how I feel as if the 49ers have a really good offensive line with guys like Mike McGlintry, Trent Williams, Daniel Brunskill. And in turn, what does that do? It allows Jimmy Garoppolo to look functional. We've seen good and bad offensive lines impact really good quarterbacks and just average quarterbacks. And so for the Bears moving forward, we'll get into it in just a moment here with some of our free agency stuff. Investing in the offensive line is going to be super critical this offseason because it's not just about rebuilding a positional group that needs to be rebuilt or semi-rebuilt. It's also about being able to continue to invest in Justin Fields. And Sam, you talked about rookie quarterbacks. This is the last point I will make before I shut up and let Joe go is that ultimately when you look at it, quarterbacks are not a three to four year investment. Okay. When you draft a quarterback, you're basically making a 15 to 20 year investment. It's like, I always tell people, it's like buying a car, right? You know, you go, you do your homework on all, you go to the dealerships, you talk to different people, you do your homework on all these various models, you know, you test drive a couple cars here and there, kind of get your own evaluation, right? And then you make the best decision as to which one's the best for you, not just in the moment, but which car is the most suitable for you in the long run. That's how you have to think about a rookie quarterback, and you're going to do whatever you need to to take care of that car, right, both in the short term and in the long term. And so the Bears need to do the same. They need to do whatever they have to this offseason to continue to take care of the investment that is Justin Fields. I really don't have much more to say. You guys kind of hit on everything I honestly talk about. You guys kind of went on about offensive line. Again, that's important. Not judging a quarterback off his rookie year. Um, again, I'll just I'll just emphasize the point more. Joe Burrow going back in his second year and leading his team to a Super Bowl. And again, I'll, I'll add actually one more thing in terms of quarterbacks. You could tell it's more of a team game because neither of these quarterbacks are top five quarterbacks in the NFL. Sure, they may be played at a top five level at any point this season, but I mean, I, when you look at the top five quarterbacks, you're looking at guys Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, um, Patrick Mahomes, and the fifth one can be a toss-up between a few other guys. But regardless, um, you see Stafford maybe arguably top ten. And I think he's a top ten pretty easily, but some people would disagree. Joe Burrow before the season, was he a top, top 15 quarterback? People would argue no. Like, neither of these guys were at that level, but the teams that they were on built themselves – around them, whether it was the Bengals, their offensive line, sure it was bad at first start of the year, but it improved throughout the season and it became pretty good. You just can't stop Aaron Donald. And in terms of the Rams, their offensive line is loaded. I mean, they got Andrew Whitworth, who is going to be a Hall of Famer. They have a great interior offensive line. So, again, it's not really a necessity in terms of having a top-five quarterback is getting top-five quarterback play out of that quarterback when you need him to. Well, let me ask you guys a follow-up question. I mean, knowing that Joe Burrow took the Bengals to the Super Bowl in his second season, even though there's a lot of dominoes that had to fall the Bengals' way, I mean, they still got there, which should mean something. In a year where nobody really expected the Bengals to be a serious Super Bowl contender, 
but people were labeling Joe Burrow as a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. They just didn't think they were going to make it this year. And then you look at Patrick Mahomes getting there in his third season. You look at Josh Allen, who's pretty much been on the cups of being a Super Bowl quarterback. I mean, I have to ask you, and I'll start with you, Sam. Is Joe Burrow and the Bengals kind of rise to the top of the AFC this year and being AFC champions. Do you think that resets expectations for how teams are going to view rookie quarterbacks moving forward? And as a quick follow-up, should the Bears organization have that same standard for Justin Fields? If you're George McCaskey, he's trying to win one before his mom dies. Uh, I'll answer the second question first because there's comparisons that I think Bears fans are going to try to make with like Justin Fields versus Joe Burrow. One thing I'm seeing on Twitter is like people saying the Bears have a shot to draft Chris Olave, one of Justin Fields' favorite weapons. And that the fact that the Bears are going to be able to like find a way to win games and stuff like that. It's very hard to replicate what a team does. There's blueprints. There's different ways of doing it. I think we need to simmer our expectations for Chris Olave. It's an entirely separate argument. Be happy with David Bell. He's better. So whatever. Um, but it, it, it's hard for me to say that the Bears can do something similar to what the Bengals did. What I will say is that it's the NFL. Anything can happen, right? I think we all thought that the Green Bay Packers were the best team in the NFC, and they clearly weren't. They didn't get all the way to the Super Bowl. They lost in the second round of the playoffs to a 49ers team that a lot of people wrote up. Do I think that it puts pressure on teams with second-year quarterbacks? I guess the question is, it kind of depends on the situation with the franchise and the organization. Chicago Bears just hired a new GM and a new head coach. Do they think that they're going to be competing in 2022 right away? And I'm not asking that like hypothetically. I mean, like, like a, there's a definite answer. I'm asking hypothetically. Whereas if I look at a team like the New England Patriots, I think the Patriots think that they can contend in the AFC with Matt Jones as their corner. So, excuse me. Um, I, I think, again, it comes down to, is there pressure from an owner like George McCaskey? There shouldn't be. Because there's a lot of eyes looking at you right now saying, you've messed up again, George. You need to figure this out. This is on you. And, and he did a lot of good things this year in terms of actually finding guys that he thinks can be long-term pieces. So... I do think the Bengals put a little bit of pressure on some organizations for sure. I would look at the New York Jets. Um, I think there's going to be some pressure there for them to finally try to turn a corner. Um, I definitely think the Patriots. I think the 49ers for sure, knowing that Shanahan's probably going to be back. Question marks revolving around Trey Lance, like I mentioned earlier. But do the Houston Texans and the Chicago Bears have the same pressure with their rookie quarterbacks? I don't know. And, and, and I think it, it raises a good question about, you know, you're talking about Super Bowl windows. I think that's a conversation that gets brought up a lot. And you're talking about long-term success in the NFL. You know, how, how do you become the next New England Patriots or the next Pittsburgh Steelers? So I'm going to cut my answer a little bit short here because I've been talking a lot on the show today. But I don't know if there's a lot of pressure on the Bears to succeed right away. I, I truly don't. I think it's a lot of questions. I would be happy if the Bears were successful in 2022. I, I would, but I'm not expecting it because this is a process. There's a lot of question marks, a lot of hypotheticals, a lot of what ifs. Is Justin Fields going to take the next step in 2022? Could he elevate 
a Bears roster that maybe isn't as talented as other rosters in the NFC, similarly to what Joe Burrow did with the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't know, and I can't answer that question until we start talking about Bears again when the season begins. And I'm excited to do that, but we're not there yet. It's two days removed from the Super Bowl. So the best way I can answer your question you said is I don't know. That's basically, yeah. I mean, you basically kind of summed up everything that I was going to say. I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's kind of the best way to put it. Like, I, I don't think – I think they need to build a dynasty. I don't think – again, you can you could go all in in 2022, but that could absolutely mess up the future. And I think the goal of 2022 should be to bring in people that could potentially be long-term weapons for your quarterback. And, again, that's putting a lot of faith into your quarterback. But even if he's not your quarterback, you're still – building an amazing team around what is basically missing. So say say they build this amazing like wide receiver core offensive line around Fields and Fields isn't it. Again, Fields being it would be the absolute best thing and I think he is it. But say somehow he's not it and you built this entire offensive line wide receiver core and a great defense. You're just a quarterback away. Again, we've been there before and it happens often. But it's better to be in that situation than it is to be with a team that goes all out for Justin Fields and Justin Fields isn't it and you don't have anything long term. So then you're just back to square one of just rebuilding the entire thing and then you're back to the 3 and 13s and the 5 and 12s and you're cleaning house again. Like it is better to build around that quarterback first and see if that quarterback can succeed with everything around him. If he can't, then move on and don't waste any more time. Sorry, I'm trying not to fall asleep here, but look I don't think the Bengals and Joe Burrow's run this year is going to reset expectations because if you're a GM across the league or you're a head coach and you're an ownership group that has a really good quarterback like a Josh Allen or you've got a really good rookie prospect or just a young quarterback on a rookie deal, here's why it's not going to reset expectations like some people think. Simply because when you look at Cincinnati this year, there's something to be said for the season that they had. And again, just go back and look at the playoffs for the Cincinnati Bengals. It was not that impressive of a playoff run. I mean, they pretty much went to overtime against the Raiders. Patrick Mahomes choked the season away for the Chiefs. And then you look at the Tennessee Titans game that I believe it was a divisional game. What happened? Well, it pretty much went down to the last second. And it's not like Callahan's Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator. It's not like he has some he had some super explosive high flying offenses in the playoffs. I mean, that game against Tennessee, they sh- probably should have been eliminated, but they did just enough to squeak by. So the reason I bring that up is simply because ultimately when you look at it, the Bengals had a lot of dominoes fall their way. And again, let's just be honest about something. You know, this is a team effectively that when you look at the schedule, I mean, come on, they were five and four through the first nine games. And I understand people are going to say, well, you're sounding pessimistic. They did win when it matters. Yeah. You know what? You're right. They did win when it mattered against teams like the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, they beat the Kansas city chiefs twice this season once in week 17 and once in the AFC championship game. But ultimately, I mean, I think we also have to be honest with ourselves about something is that the Bengals, I think this season and Joe Burrow, they showcased competitiveness and resiliency more than anything else. And so ultimately, I don't think that this is some way, somehow going to magically reset expectations because it's like I said a minute ago, you ultimately do have something in Cincinnati. You truly do. But guess what? They 
barely squeaked by some of these teams, right? Especially in the playoffs where the games matter the most, okay? And so ultimately, when you look at that, like I said, I don't think it's going to reset expectations. But with that said, I don't think the Bears should completely close the door on looking at what happened in Cincinnati. Okay, I understand teams and situations are different. I mean, the one advantage that Joe Burrow had this season compared to Justin Fields is that Joe Burrow basically had the same head coach as well as offensive staff going into year two. Justin Fields, unfortunately, does not have that luxury. But let's be honest. I mean, Justin's also good enough to overcome a lot of obstacles and barriers that have basically been thrown his way. And he's confident enough to where he can hold the fourth down. So do I think the bears are going to be in the super bowl next season? We'll get into that towards the end of the show. But I also think that Cincinnati's run this season is not necessarily going to set expectations. Now, speaking of setting expectations, I mean, Joe, I'm going to go to you on this one. The season's over. There's no more football until August. But where does the Bears rookie class rank compared to the rest of the NFL? Because this is a rookie class that you look at and you say Justin Fields is going to be the defining factor. But also guys like Larry Borum, Tevin Jenkins have some high upside. Thomas Graham Jr., Khalil Herbert, Kyrus Tonga. They all have starters potential. The only, I think, real major, major, major question mark is Daz Newsom, but even Daz showcased the ability to be a tough, gritty receiver. I would say the Bears, in terms of potential, they arguably have the highest potential of any of, that, any of those draft classes. I mean, if you look at the ceilings of each of the players they drafted, so you could have arguably a top-five quarterback in the NFL in terms of absolute potential in Justin Fields. You could have a left tackle of the future in Tevin Jenkins, a right tackle of the future in Larry Borum. You could have a starting corner in Thomas Graham, and you could have a starting slot wide receiver in Daz Newsome. Getting all of that just in one draft class while trading away a bunch of picks too is absolutely incredible. And it's not like that a bunch of first-round picks, like high-level picks. No, they had one first-round, one second-round, and then after that, fifth and later-round picks. And that's also leaving out Kyra Stanga, who, again, could also be a starting defensive lineman and very solid in the NFL. So there's a potential. It could be one of the top draft classes. In terms of probably at the current moment, I would say the Chiefs have a pretty high-level class. I mean, they got arguably a top linebacker already in Nick Bolton, a top center in Creed Humphrey. Right there alone is very solid. They got a nice developmental tight end in Noah Gray. Um, and then they got Trey Smith in the later rounds, too, at guard. So they just absolutely, again, Ryan Poles is a big help in that, but they revamped the entire offensive line in terms of interior by getting Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith while also getting a top-level linebacker, Nick Bolton, in the second round. And they did it without having a single first-round pick and not even like a high second-round pick. They, I believe Nick Bolton was around pick 60, and so was Creed Humphrey. So in terms of that, I, I was very high on their class um, for at least the kind of, you know, the amount of picks they had. Um, but again, in terms of potential, you, you won't, getting a top five quarterback in a draft automatically makes you want to get one of the best classes on top of getting a left tackle as well. That could be your left tackle of the future and a staple of the next 10 years. That makes it a top class immediately. So potentially bears could have one of the best classes. And again, pace is gone, but this could arguably be his best class. And he got fired after drafting possibly his best class. I, I don't really have a ton else to add to Joe because I think the, the conversation of potential versus where they actually rank is entirely different things. I, I looked it up. PFF, I think, had the Bears at around uh, 11th overall for their draft class and their rankings. Now, I know a lot of people take their rankings with a grain of salt, but it's a good comparison point. Um, 
Here's the deal. I, I mean, you got a starting quarterback in Justin Fields. He, I don't think he was definitely not the best rookie quarterback this year, but he was able to be good enough to play. I mean, there's rookie quarterbacks that did not play very much in 2021. There's rookie quarterbacks that didn't play at all. Um, you got two pretty solid offensive line, you know, in terms of production. You got a Larry Borum, who's a fifth round pick. I don't think anyone really regarded as a starter and then suddenly found his way all over the place and played pretty well. And obviously, I think if Tevin Jenkins doesn't get hurt, I think he has a better year. But once he got his feet under him, I liked what I saw out of Tevin Jenkins. There's a lot of surprises, like Khalil Herbert. I think Khalil Herbert is going to be a productive running back. I loved his special teams contributions. I liked the point on Daz Newsom. I, I don't think there's we don't we don't really know what we have in Daz Newsom. But then all of a sudden, you have Thomas Graham Jr., six round corner, hasn't played a single game, gets a, gets the nod in the start against the Minnesota Vikings. And has like five pass breakups. So it's it's one of those draft classes, and I know I'm forgetting about Kyrus Tonga, who played the most majority of the year, and, and I I thought he was fine, nothing special. But what is the impact of your rookie class? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves. Because Joe brings up the Kansas City Chiefs, and that's a great example is what I was going to bring up. Not only did they get two stunning offensive linemen, they got, I believe, Creed Humphreys an all-pro, if I'm correct here. And Trey Smith started every single game for the Kansas City Chiefs. And then they got a starting linebacker, Nick Bolton. The impact that the Chiefs defense had with Bolton and the impact the uh, Chiefs offensive line saw with those two draft picks, that's what's important to me. And when I look at the Bears' impact of their rookies, I think it, it's a wide variety of things. I think Justin Fields won the Bears games. I think he lost, the, you know, contributed to the loss. I think that when Tevin Jenkins was healthy, I thought he was fine. And I think like having Larry Borum as the backup tackle ended up being really important. When David Montgomery and uh, did I'm gonna forget his name here for a second, Damian Williams both got hurt and got COVID. Khalil Herbert had 100 rushing yards against one of the best run defenses in the league. That's impact. That's positive impact. I just talked about Thomas Graham in his game against the Vikings, like five pass breakups, especially a key pass breakup that stopped the Vikings from scoring. If the Bears had scored points, we wouldn't be in the Vikings. So. Long story short, I think impact of your rookie class is important, not just did they play, did they not play. Potential absolutely could be a top five class. Where they are right now, I think you could argue top ten. Look, the Bears have a top five draft class from this season. I mean, you go around at the NFL and you look at some of these rookie classes, let's be real. It's it's hard to kind of beat what the Bears did. I mean, I mean, look, and I understand the previous Bears regime had second round grades on Larry Borum, but forget about Larry Borum for a second. I think a lot of people seemingly forget. I mean, Justin Fields was always lauded as being one of the top quarterbacks in this class, despite the fact that he slipped, which no one in the Bears fan base is complaining. And then the other thing is this, is that a lot of people, I think, forget that they were – four to five first round caliber offensive tackles available in the 2021 draft. You're looking at Panay Sewell, Christian Derisaw, Rashawn Slater, Tevin Jenkins was one of them. And Tevin Jenkins slipped all the way to 39th overall. And we know now it's possibly because of his injuries, but that really matters. And it means something because I think that the upside is still there for Tevin Jenkins, whether he's playing left or right tackle next season to really develop into a high end pick. But just, you look at across the board. I mean, you know, there's teams out there. Take a look at like the Cleveland Browns, who drafted cornerback Greg Newsom the second, as well as linebacker Jeremiah Owosu Karoma. You look at the Chiefs, who got Nick Bolton, Creed Humphrey, as well as Trey Smith. 
there are very few teams out there who got as many impact players as teams like the Bears, the Chiefs, the Browns did just going into year one. And so, you know, what does that mean essentially? I think what it means is that this is a, one of the best rookie classes. Now, going into 2022, I think the expectations are certainly higher because it is going to be the first full offseason that Tevin Jenkins really has to be able to fully develop now that he's got at least five to six games under his belt. It's going to be another season where we've seen what Justin Fields can do. Larry Borum, I think, has the potential to be a phenomenal right tackle in the NFL. It's just the issue with him and Jenkins is that together they need reps. When you look at Thomas Grant Jr., I think when it's all said and done, we look back at this rookie class in a couple of years, I think Thomas Graham Jr. can without a doubt, be a really good stud cornerback. I'm not saying he's going to be a star by any means, but he could be a stud. And then I think Khalil Herbert, you know, when I talked to people at Virginia Tech last season after the draft, they were all shocked Khalil Herbert fell to the sixth round. They felt as if he was a third or fourth round prospect, and a lot of the outlets did have third or fourth round grades on him. And then Kyrus Tonga, I understand in the three, four Bears defense, the defensive tackle was always lined up as a zero tech. Kyrus Tonga, you know, I still think he can be a pretty solid rotational guy. And I do think with Tonga, there is enough there to where is he a crazy good athlete? Not really. But does he have a high motor and does he play with power and intensity? Absolutely. Is he smart about where his eyes need to be on those running plays to just close those gaps up? Yeah. And so I think Kyrus Tonga can develop into a good enough option. And the Bears need to understand something because most of this. The resources over the next couple off seasons are going to go into the offense. They don't need a guy that is a phenomenal player at defensive tackle. They're not going to get an Aaron Donald at all, but they just need somebody that's good enough, and that's all that matters. I definitely agree. I mean, like we've talked about, those edge rushers are incredible. Um, I think still Poles is going to want to get some, maybe not high level, but maybe one high level defensive lineman in there that. Maybe you get on a discount. Maybe you bring Akeem Hicks back on a cheap deal or something. But I do think they need a mean and nasty kind of 4-3 defensive lineman um, interior to kind of supplement what Poles likes to do and what Iberfus also likes to do. So, But I agree with everything you said. I think this is going to be a very important offseason for Tevin Jenkins and Larry Borum because you bring in a GM who wants to build through the trenches and Kyrus Tonga too, but – the reason why I focus more on offensive line, because I actually agree with you said on that. Like I think Kyrus Tonga is going to be a absolutely serviceable defense lineman for the bears, no matter what the scheme is, but Larry Borum and Tevin Jenkins have the potential here to be long-term pieces. I mean, if I'm Ryan Poles, I, I am itching to, to, you know, allowing my coaching staff to get to work with these guys, because I think he's going to gut the offensive line. I, I truly do. I think there's going to be some significant changes. And I think there is opportunities for Larry Borum and Tevin Jenkins to both play where that's going to be. I don't know, because I think you can make arguments that Jenkins can kind of play either tackle spot. And there's been conversation about Borum being moved to guard. Can Borum play tackle? And that's good because those two young men have the potential to be very, very good offensive linemen for the Chicago bears and to protect Justin Fields. Cause that is what's important. So I'm excited to see what happens with them. I'm excited for their potential. I'm hoping that Tevin Jenkins can stay healthy, same with Larry Borum, but that is something that I can't fabricate into existence, so we'll just have to see what happens. All right, well, let me go ahead and ask you guys this. 
we just saw the Bengals and Rams play in the Super Bowl, and we're going to get more into our free agency previews. But I'm going to go to Joe Schmo on this one first, a.k.a. Lovely Doubly Herf. But any free agents from these Super Bowl teams that you think the Bears need to continue to look at and possibly consider signing, considering Ryan Poles is not a first-wave kind of guy. He's more of a second- and third-wave kind of free agent guy. Bring home Brian Allen, first of all. So – Brian Allen starting center for the Rams. He a uh, little personal note. He was on uh, team Illinois for wrestling. Um, the same team I was on when I wrestled and he uh, was an incredible wrestler. He's from Hinsdale central. I want to say so bring him home to Chicago. I mean, he was one of the highest graded PFF centers um, in the NFL last year. He's mean. Like, like I've always said in my scouting reports, I love wrestlers on the offensive line. They have great hand fighting abilities. They're normally nasty. They normally have great footwork and balance as well. So, Bring him home. Um, he's an absolute stud, and he is an enormous upgrade over Sam Mustafer. Um, he's my main go-to. Um, the easy answer, I won't steal from anybody else really with any more, but the easy answer is Odell, just depending, again, how healthy he is. But just a little more on Brian Allen. Again, he's an absolute stud. He's mean. He's nasty. Um, I know Rams fans are indifferent about him, but regardless, if you get him into the right scheme and – you get him with a good offensive line surrounding him. He can't be horrible, and he actually knows what he's doing, and he's not immensely undersized like Sam Mustafer. So he fits all the, all the things I'm looking for in a center. Obviously, Ryan Jensen would be the top guy to get this free agency, but if you wanted to go the second-best guy in free agency, you're probably looking at Brian Allen. And guess what? He is also classmates with, I think, now former Chicago Bears wide receiver Thomas Ives, who went on some, I believe it was Ivy League school. I actually just looked that up because they both graduated the same season. Listen, I really like Brian Allen. I think he's an intriguing option. I'll let Sam expand on him more in just a moment. But I think my two guys are Austin Corbett, I believe it is. He's a guard for the Rams. And then cornerback Trey Flowers from the Cincinnati Bengals. You look at both of these players, they're not overly flashy by any means. I think Corbett's certainly someone that kind of, when the Rams had to rebuild the offensive line in 2019 and make adjustments, he's someone that really became a key part of this. And, you know, the good thing about the Rams that bodes well for the Bears is they kind of went all in on a Super Bowl roster this year and a Super Bowl championship. They really what happened is now they're going to have to play addition by subtraction. And some of these guys are going to start leaving. And, you know, Corbett's one of those that I don't think the Rams can even afford to bring him back. So he's definitely someone that needs to be on the Bears radar. I will also say this. I think Trey Flowers, he's played in Seattle for a couple of years under Pete Carroll. And then you ultimately look at what the Bears need at cornerback. I think that bringing in a guy who's in his mid to late 20s like Trey Flowers would certainly make sense. I think that the Bears need, without a doubt, a veteran presence in that room. And Trey Flowers, having been in the league since 2018, I believe, can certainly provide that. Go ahead, Sam Sam. Well, Joe took mine. Rightfully so, though, because I agree with him. Uh, I think it would absolutely be an upgrade. I was going to bring up the PFF thing, so I'm glad you did. Um, and I know that you're texting me to say Quentin Spain. I'm not sure if I'm a huge fan of Quentin Spain, but definitely a guy to monitor for sure. But um, the guys that I would say, uh, I'll start with the Bengals first. Uh, Jordan Evans, linebacker. Bears need to address their linebacker core this offseason. I don't know if there's an opportunity to do that in the draft. I'm not sure if the Bears should do it in the draft. Um, with the uh, Joel, I'm not going to even try to pronounce his last name, Iggy, kind of post about him moving on from the Bears. And honestly, every other guy in the Bears linebacker core, except Roquan Smith and Caleb Johnson being under contract, 
It's a positional group that absolutely needs to be overhauled. Evans isn't anything crazy special, but again, he he's someone that needs to be able to at least be considered. The Bears need to try to go and grab more linebackers. Um, and again, the team needs depth. And I liked I liked what I saw out of him. I don't think he's anything special, but depth is important here. And I think that you know there's going to be opportunities for guys. I think like Christian Jones to be back, maybe an Alec Ogletree. But I believe Evans is only 27, so a little bit younger than both those guys, I believe. So, And he's been to a Super Bowl. He's got the veteran experience. Uh, again, I was going to say Brian Allen, but I'm going to change it up a little bit. Uh, I would be interested in Darius Williams a little bit. So I- I'm I'm of the opinion that the Bears need to address the secondary uh, in free agency a little bit. I definitely think that the draft has some opportunities to get a guy later in the draft. Um, but I thought Williams was pretty productive for the Rams. Um, I don't think he was anything crazy special. It's hard to compare him when Jalen Ramsey's on your team, although Jalen Ramsey talked, you know, struggled a little bit against Jamar Chase, but that's a separate conversation. Um, but ultimately, the Bears need to try to go and find someone to match up with Jalen Johnson. I think Williams' AAV isn't crazy expensive. I think the Bears could get him on a decent deal. Um, I believe he's 28, so not super old. Um, he's got some good experience. I know he's an undrafted guy, um, but he's – he earned kind of a huge spot uh, and kind of a key position on that Rams defense because when you think about the Rams defense, how much star power they have, oftentimes some of these other guys get overshadowed. I thought Williams is productive. I thought he I think he plays well. I think he will have an opportunity here in Chicago if he were to sign here um, to work with Jalen Johnson, a guy who's a budding star. Um, and again, this is what happens when Joe takes the guy that you want to do because I had notes prepared for somebody else, but uh, we improvise on the spot here. So those are my two. Yeah, from now on, we should probably <laughs> keep – I know we've done it before we put the names in the chat. We should probably put our names in the chat. We did. You were late to the call today. Hey, remember I said I couldn't see the notes before? Do you not remember that? I'm just, I'm just messing with you, Joe. You're fine. Okay, good. But I want to talk about Quentin Spain too then. Um, again, he gets a ton of scrutiny because he was the guy who made the mistake the last play and got absolutely blown back by Aaron Donald. First of all, it's Aaron Donald. Let's let's take a step back here. Second of all, it's fourth down with the Super Bowl on the line. You think you're stopping? You think anybody is stopping Aaron Donald on fourth down with the Super Bowl on the line? No, nobody's stopping Aaron Donald. Especially when you when you see the highlight now of uh, I believe it was Sean McVay who went up to him and literally hyped him up to and said the Super Bowl. This will make the Super Bowl. This play will define the Super Bowl. You you think anybody is stopping Aaron Donald? No. But regardless, Quentin Spain was having a very, very solid game, stopping Aaron Donald for the most part of the game when he was on him until that last play. And he was a very serviceable guard. And I like that you said, touched on it a bit, Poles is going to be looking at those kind of second-wave phrases, guys. That's a guy Quentin Spain is like. Quentin Spain was cut before the season started by the Bills, and he came into the Bengals and instantly became a pretty solid starter for them and a veteran sort of mainstay. So I would like him as like a second wave guy. Say you don't get somebody you want to guard. Say you cut Cody Whitehair due to the fact that the cap is too much and you want to save some more cap. You could probably take a discount on a guy like Quentin Spain, who teams will probably look at that last play and might honestly lower his contract value. And the fact that he's already getting not older, but he's going to be on his third team in three years. So obviously there's something not perfect about him, but he would be a very solid plug and play guard that could replace Whitehair immediately or could fit the scheme well. You know, there's something to be said for cutting and 
moving on from some of these veterans because I ultimately think, and you know, the moves that the bears make in 2022 are going to help lay the foundation for when the Super Bowl window is eventually going to open. And it's interesting because over the weekend, and I mentioned this on YouTube too, but there was a big debate going around on bears Twitter regarding what the bears would do with guys like Khalil Mack, Eddie Jackson and Robert Quinn. Now you have certain people that are talking about, well, they should just go ahead and the bears should just trade or cut all these guys and save cap space. But when you look at the way that these contracts are set up, they're all backloaded contracts, which means some of these guys are not going to go anywhere until the 2024 offseason, by the way. But the reason I bring this up is ultimately because it does lead to an important question that I just hinted at a moment ago, right? When does the Bears Super Bowl window open? When you look at the Bears right now, they are in a weird transition phase. And I think 2022 is going to be more of a, hey, let's build the foundation and let's go ahead and let's continue to kind of add some pieces, right? I think 2023 is the year that we seriously begin talking about the Bears as having a legitimate shot to be a playoff, but also Super Bowl team. Now, with that said, I do think if things go real well for the Bears, they can certainly sneak into the playoffs in 2022 because all it takes is one or two dominoes to fall your way. And then all of a sudden you are taking off in a manner and fashion. That I don't think a lot of people have seen before. So my point here is, is that, you know, the Bengals and Rams basically showed us that, yeah, your window can open and close within an instant. The Packers have showed us that just because you may think your window is open, your window is not necessarily open. For the Bears, though, I think it's a window that opens up in another year, the 2023 season. Like I said, it's truly the year things are going to get interesting for the Bears. But, you know, what do you think, Sam? I agree with the 2023 thought because – I just don't see a six and eleven Bears team all of a sudden doing a one eighty and being a Super Bowl contender. When I think about twenty twenty two, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered about this roster. Is Ryan Poles going to try to get more draft picks? Successful franchises load up on draft picks. Is he going to kind of tear this roster apart a little bit? Is he going to retool? Is he going to try to get some contracts off the board? The Bears have some cash space to work with. They also have a lot of free agents this year. If Poles is smart with his money and Justin Fields takes the next step that we're hoping he takes in 2022, you're looking at a 2023 season that could potentially have more draft picks, could have way more cap space. I think that's a guarantee. And now you have a third-year quarterback who has chemistry with guys like Darnell Mooney, who you know, is playing well, and now the Bears go and get the best talent available. And they go and they draft you know, maybe heavily emphasized defense, and they build another Super Bowl defense. It's all going to be about getting those contracts off the books, though, because Ryan Pace pushed money back, and that's unfortunate for Ryan Poles. He's going to have to work with that. So it's a lot of hypothetical. There is questions that are going to have to be answered before I can officially declare 2023 the year to, to that the, the Super Bowl window is open again. But I don't think it's crazy to say that in the next two years we could be talking about a Bears team that has a chance to be a contender. Absolutely not. I don't think it is. Is it going to happen in 2022? I don't think so. But never say never, I guess, because the Cincinnati Bengals proved everybody wrong there. Um, but I think a lot of things have to go right for the Bears, including Justin Fields basically taking a huge step like Joe Burrow did. But if Fields is the guy that we think he is, and the Bears are smart with their money in 2022, and they are able to load up on more draft picks, and 
Matt Eberflus is who we hope he is. Yeah, I think 2023 is the conversation that we can have where, hey, maybe this Bears team can get back into the swing of things and maybe make a Super Bowl appearance for the first time in what would then be 16 years because it's been 15 years since the Bears made a Super Bowl for context. I was six years old. I don't even know necessarily what football was. So I knew what football was, but not not in the sense. Um, yeah, I think 2023 is the year that we can start talking about it. But not, I don't definitely not next year. Definitely agree. Um, like you said, you never know. I mean, the Bengals did it this year. I'm not. I'm not looking for this year as a 2022 Super Bowl season. I think maybe like the Bears could surprise some teams and possibly sneak into the playoffs as like a seventh or sixth seed and probably lose a game. But again, it all the, it all varies on not only Justin Fields taking the next step, but also the offensive line, depending who they bring in or if Tevin Jenkins in general takes the next step. Um, and like you said, who who they bring in, who they bring in for the future. Um, yeah, it's really hard to say when the Super Bowl window officially opens, but if it would be most beneficial to happen in the next few years while they still have Mac and Robert Quinn under contract, along with Eddie Jackson, Jalen Johnson on his rookie deal still. Um, it would be very beneficial. Then they can spend some money on other positions while these guys are still here. Um, but regardless, I, if Justin Fields takes that next step, we all expect him to, and he builds that. They're going to have a pretty open Super Bowl window for a long time. So I honestly think we just hope it hope for that and not really more of a uh, – I hope it becomes sooner rather than later. It's just more of like, it just needs to be open for a long time instead of ASAP. And we would all prefer for it to be open for a long time. Cause in the words of former bears, general manager, Ryan Pace, the key to building a championship team is stringing together successful drafts one by one. But listen guys, that's going to do it from us this week. You know, thanks for tuning in as always. We are on the cups of 5,000 downloads. You know, it's a big milestone because when you kind of rebranded, we knew it was going to be an uphill climb, but we've certainly enjoyed just every single thing that we've done. We appreciate all of our old followers and subscribers as well as you know the new ones just all the support that you guys have given us but listen make sure you're following us on twitter youtube facebook tiktok and instagram at fireside bears make sure you're following myself sam and joe on twitter at usaid kosha chai sports sam and at joseph Herf nfl keep it locked into our youtube channel this week guys we're gonna have i think it's two nfl draft prospect interviews on thursday we're gonna drop those sometime over the weekend and then we'll just have more and more as time goes on like i said guys one of the big things we're trying to focus on is just find prospects specifically that have already spoken to the bears because that's going to be a lot more additional context and inside information that we certainly want to give you guys but good morning good afternoon and good evening wherever you may be y'all have a great rest of your day as always stay safe stay warm and bear down ladies and gentlemen Bear down. Bear down.